I'm Christopher Calloway. Welcome to Creator Talks, the show that interviews writers and artists focusing primarily on comics, but also working in other mediums. Is there an artist in your family? Is there more than one? What do you think the odds are of that? Claire and Paige Connolly are sisters, twin sisters in fact. Although both share a passion for art and follow the same academic path, each developed a unique style of art all their own. Claire Connolly illustrates comic books, video games, and storyboards. She has written, drawn, and published Black Eyes and Down with the Ship, among other comics. Claire has collaborated with writer Eric Grissom on Animals and Erica Schultz, among whose credits include Charmed, Swords of Sorrow, and Xena, Princess Warrior for Dynamite, on the unauthorized biography of Winston Churchill and Cheese, A Love Story. Claire is a video game aficionado and has a penchant for old video games. Paige Connolly is an illustrator who specializes in graphite drawings, digital illustrations, and character designs. Her contributions include illustrations in the RPG game magazine Wayfinder and in the Gallery of Dungeons and Dragons Against the Slave Lord book reprint. In addition, each year she publishes her sketchbook of Songs of Fablewood. This interview is brought to you by the comic book shop in Wilmington, Delaware, off Marsh Road, where comics are for everyone. Just be nice. I apologize for the problems that we had with Skype during this interview, but I cleaned it up as best I could, so it is still quite listenable. So join me now as I chat with the Wonder Twins, Claire and Paige Connolly, here now on Creator Talks. Paige, welcome to Creator Talks. Welcome, Claire. Hey, what's going on? You're both sisters, both artists. Yeah, but we're different. Okay. The questions do get tougher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true statement. We're both artists, and we're both sisters, and we're also roommates and twins. That's also kind of important, I guess. Yeah. Did that cause a lot of confusion growing up? It still causes lots of confusion. Yeah. No, there's times where I look at baby pictures and stuff. I don't even know which one I am. Identity crisis. Like, which child am I? Am I in the yellow shirt or am I the one in the pink shirt? I don't even know. Do people recall situations or things that happened and mix up who did what? I don't think so. My mom usually has it down pat who did what. Like, Claire would pull over a chair to get me out of the crib. Then we both wreck havoc together. I think my dad got us confused sometimes. Very rarely do I get blamed for something you did. Sometimes in, like, school, though, we would get confused. Teachers would think my paper would get graded for Claire's and then Claire's paper would get graded for mine. So, like, weird little things would happen like that, but nothing major that I could think of. We never, like, took each other's math tests or anything. Well, tell me a bit about growing up together and where you grew up. We grew up in the suburbs of middle of New Jersey. What most people think of when they think of New Jersey, except not the gross part, up in North Jersey. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we grew up in a very suburban place where you could ride your bike and you played on like all the local sports. Not that we were particularly good at them, but we did play. Kind of grew up close to the beach. So we were at the beach a lot as kids, especially in the summer. It was very much like suburban background. There wasn't always stuff to do. So we kind of always had to entertain ourselves a little bit because we didn't live in like an urban place where you could walk to like a playground and stuff. So usually it was us running around the woods with sticks, pretending. <laughs> and I think about, I'm like, oh, I don't know if they let kids nowadays run around the backwoods just doing whatever they did for a few hours and then we just show up back home. 
Yeah, we used to like build bridges and stuff and use like minor power tools. And I don't think they really give children power tools anymore. <laughs> my parents pretty much just let us get saws. We cut down some trees, build bridges with my older siblings. And they encourage the creativity. That's yeah. what I think it was, is that we were outside doing stuff and being creative and thinking. Our screen time as a kid, considering we grew up in the 90s, isn't the same as it is now. So my mom didn't want us sitting inside all day playing Super Nintendo. So she always, that's why she always encouraged us to like draw. And my mom was a really avid reader and she always wanted us to be readers. I guess we were kind of dyslexic or something growing up. So reading wasn't always that easy. So that's why my mom always encouraged us to read comics because I had the pictures, which we like being kids because we wanted to draw a lot and then the words on top of it. So I was like a big part of our childhood was just reading lots and lots of comics. Now, what were you reading? Man, that was the early 2000s. Especially when I was younger, I remember specifically reading a lot of Captain Underpants comics. Those were coming out when we were younger. And I yeah, brand new books. I specifically remember after like the third or fourth book, they created one that you could draw on it yourself. So you're supposed to like draw yourself into the adventure kind of thing. And I very vividly remember having that and being very excited that I could then draw what I wanted to do or write a Captain Underpants story. I remember I also then would draw at home my own spinoff stories for Captain Underpants in the world. It's like fan fiction. Yeah, <laughs> basically doing, um, but actually drawing them out as full-blown comic books on the like computer paper and stuff like that. So I very, very specifically remember reading lots of, like, Captain Underpants. I think that was especially when they started really using comics as kind of, like, easy readers for children. Yeah, it was, like, the beginning of that. Because, like, there was always, like, Calvin and Hobbes and things of that nature. It has, you know, it applies to both adults and children, but this was, like, specifically geared towards children. And I remember in middle school, that's when we started really getting into Marvel. And that was when they were doing the Ultimates. We were pretty much reading every X-Men book. I remember we had extreme X-Men Candy X-Men. Some of them were probably not, definitely not for middle school. I thought we were reading them. And we would babysit on Tuesday. And then in fr- on Fridays or Saturdays, my mom would drop us off in Red Bank, which was a couple towns over. And that's where Jay and Silent Bob Secret Stash. So we would go to the stash and buy all of our comic books with our babysitting money and then go home and read them <laughs> on the weekends. That was our shop. And then all the time growing up, we'd go there and go through all the bins and get cheap comics and there's also i can't remember the name of it that other store no i can't remember yeah but it had like he had all these back issue bins they'd be like a dollar a book so you could buy all of these comics and they're like old comics from like the 50s 60s and 70s that's always the best going through the bins i always enjoy doing that especially the cheapy bins because i always find good stuff that i want to read and fill in my collection and a lot of it's really good value too but you can't go wrong i mean how can you go wrong you can find books you want to read it's great it's part of the adventure of reading comics is finding them you know exactly and there's always that time when you're searching through the bin and you find that one thing you're really looking for that might be so mundane to someone else but to you it's super important yeah like i remember doing that a couple of years at con con where i need to buy this even though it was like a dollar fifty when did you decide that you were interested in art enough to go to art school? Personally, even in elementary school, I knew I wanted to go to school for art. I always struggled as a student, but the only thing I ever really got superb grades in were like a lot of my classes that were like creative driven. And all my best projects were like the teacher would be like, oh, we're going to read uh, the Phantom Tollbooth. Everyone gets to draw a scene out of the Phantom Tollbooth. And I'd be like, hell bent like this is the greatest project ever i'm so excited there's no writing involved and i just get to draw especially once i got to high school i didn't even think about really seriously think about college until i was a senior which was really late in high school to start really considering colleges i figured i'd just go for art 
I felt myself, I didn't have much going for me except for that. And I knew I could probably get into an arts program. So I just went with that. Yeah, I'm trying to think, I guess I always knew I wanted to go to school for art, but I wasn't sure if I was good enough. So I was always trying to come up with other reasons to do other things. Like I originally went to college uh, my freshman year for scenic design, essentially for theater, but could also be translated to movies. And I did it my first semester and I was like, I like what I'm doing, but this isn't necessarily filling my interest enough. Like I always enjoyed working in theater buildings. And then it wasn't till, I don't know, someone was like, no, you're not an artist, you're an illustrator. And I was like, oh my God, that's the word I've been searching for my whole life. I'm not an artist, I'm an illustrator. So once I figured that out, I was like, okay, my school already had an illustration program. I'm going to go and switch into it. And then Claire had the same idea. <laughs> and you both entered at the same time. Pretty much. I was already accepted into the School of the Arts, but not the illustration program. Because originally I was going to school to be an arts education student. And then everyone kept telling me I was too good at drawing to do that. Like all my professors were really encouraging me to go into illustration or fine art. Especially because I was so dedicated to getting better even a small assignment they only anticipated you spending two to three hours on I'd spend like eight to ten hours on it I was paying for it so I figured I might as well put forth a lot of effort for the first time in my life I was getting good grades so once you start getting a few good grades it encourages you to get more good grades what's the most valuable thing that each of you learned while you were in school paid you first no matter where I went to school I would have loved to go to a fancy art school in New York City that's what you think when you go to art school. And I ended up going to Montclair State, which is, I don't want to say look, it's one of the larger state schools in New Jersey, it's an art program. And for a while I was, oh, I went to a state school, so I'm not school. And then you realize all your professors are also working at those fancy art schools. And it was really about taking control of your education and not waiting for projects and assignments to fit your needs. Just like for as much time as I spent on working on my school projects, I spent just as much time experimenting and drawing in my sketchbook because I wanted to be a better artist. So it was more like if you dedicate to your craft, then you're only going to get better. If I wanted to settle and just do okay, I can do okay. But if I want to make amazing work, I have to push myself that much harder. You can go now. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Thanks. I think the most important thing I learned, especially not uh, functionally, is to take something from your idea stage and then complete it to the most completest stage to send to like the art director. Oh, so like process. <laughs> no, 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 not not just the process, but like I was always a sketchbook kid where I just draw out my sketchbook and then like never finish it. So to actually be for projects, especially doing drawing things that you're not necessarily comfortable with. And finishing it to the degree that it's publishable. Because you can draw, but it's different when you're drawing for publishing. Because there has to be a certain amount of finesse and finish to it. That a piece of fine art doesn't necessarily have to have. Because it's not being replicated. So it's about figuring out how you need to finish something to make it replicatable. Especially for me for like a print medium and commercial and how to finish something that's hundreds of pages long and then scan it off. I guess right now art is not your full-time career. How do you plan to get there? I would always love to be a full-time artist. <laughs> but I also like to think realistically about it where like the people who I consider to be super successful didn't jump out of college and work full-time. Everyone was like, oh, you did a couple jobs here and there and you build up your reputation and also when you graduate college you think you're ready you're like oh man my stuff is so great all the art directors are gonna love me and then you look back at it now and you're like oh wow 
I'm glad I didn't send out anything too much stuff to art directors because that wasn't really that great. And now you're like, okay, now I feel comfortable. I think it's just, I mean, of course I would love to be a full-time artist who doesn't want to be a full-time artist, but also to keep you going. It's like measuring each success and having your own definition of success where you're not comparing yourself to other people because that will only make you depressed. Absolutely. <laughs> That's very good advice. <laughs> I don't know. We mean, Claire, we're having a discussion like a week or two ago about like uh, what success means to us. I think sometimes, especially when it comes to art education, especially at the collegiate level, there really isn't a class like the psychology behind your career. Yeah, because I think it's so easy to be like, oh, well, this person has eight books already and they're 27 and they're the same age as me, blah, 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 blah. But it's like every person's definition of success is different where it's like, oh, that could be seen as successful to one person, but I could not see that as being the career that I want. Carving out the type of career that you want and what you deem successful, because even for some people, being a full-time artist isn't as successful enough for them. So it's really just about figuring out what you want to get out of your artistic career. And hopefully if your goal is being a full-time artist, then getting there to the point but at the same time, I want to have a level of comfortable living where if I have a day job because, you know, there's rent to pay, insurance to be had, and that's just a part of the lifestyle I'm accustomed to. So I'm going to work on my art and my day career as well. Yeah, and we were talking about it with some like underclassmen who are currently in the school we were going to. And we're like, there's nothing wrong with having a day job as you're trying to figure out how to be an artist. People always think it's a super shameful thing. It's like, yeah. I spend all day working on yearbooks for schools and stuff. But hey, I'd rather be doing lots of other things. So people always make having a job while being an artist almost like a shameful thing. Like, oh, you're not good enough to be a full-time artist. And it's like, no, I just want health insurance. <laughs> and not struggle and be stressed. Like extra stress will only make it harder to be an artist. Do you think your professors help prepare you, help set your expectations about what it's going to be like after school. Yes and no. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I mean, I think you'll never be fully prepared for when you're out in the real world. I don't think anyone could prepare you to be out in the real world. Like, even your parents, you know what I mean? Eventually you just get shoved out there and you're just living your life. We definitely had our one professor, uh, Chris Gash, who's an editorial illustrator, just really try to give us talks about how to do your taxes, where are you going to get your insurance from, how you're going to buy a house, what's a contract, what's an invoice, things like that. You know, and you're painting one class, you're not talking about that. You're talking about light and shade and form. So I think they prepared us to their best ability to prepare us. But at the same time, you're in a room where every student is a different type of illustrator. I was the only comic artist. Paige was one of two or three fantasy illustrators. Then we had editorial illustrators. So everything's not applicable. So they had to make it generic enough for all of us. But I think they prepared us to their best ability. Um, yeah, and you're also, when you're 21, you're still thinking it's going to be fantastic and easy because you don't really have that much real world experience in any other way of being an adult so you're like okay it'll take me like get your five-year plan i'm like it was three years after college i'll be a full-time freelance artist and you're really like that stuff doesn't happen as quickly so just being able to i guess go with the flow as dumb as that sounds or just like not accept it this is it for now but that doesn't mean i'm not going to be successful the majority of those type of things are things you learn after college when you are struggling and trying to figure out where you're going because you don't have those professors telling you which directions to go with your work it's left up to you and yes you have your friends and stuff to ask you but it's not that same environment 
Now, a lot of guests that I have on the show, they tend to have a comic book they're promoting or a graphic novel without a monthly book on the market, especially to a big publisher like Marvel, DC, Image, which gets a lot of press through the usual channels and all. How do you go about promoting your projects? I think for me, I just try to have as strong as an internet presence as I can possible. I try to regularly post on Twitter and Instagram. Not so much Facebook anymore. It's a different platform than it was five or six years ago. Yeah, and even Twitter. Twitter's not the same platform it was three or four years ago. You know, everything's always changing. You know, just being to date with social media and making your social media presence the same. It's like, you know, you go to Coca-Cola's website and everything says Coca-Cola and it's red and white. So I apply those same marketing techniques to my own work and just trying to keep it as simple as possible and just having like my website's my home to everything. We don't necessarily have to access my website to find everything. And just really being honest about it and not annoying. Nothing I think is more disingenuous and less engaging than sending everyone the same spam Twitter DM about your Kickstarter. Oh, I hate those. I think it's really just about engaging people just genuinely. And it's like, if people aren't interested in my stuff, like I don't get upset. I'm like, yeah, man, like it's cool. Because everyone's it's not everyone's cup of tea. And like, but that's the kind of work I want to make. I don't want to make everyone's cup of tea. So it's just really being out there and being open. And as much as people want to know your work, they also want to know a certain amount about you as just a person. So I'm not afraid to share things that are also going on in my daily life. Yeah, I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, don't share any personal stuff on your art Twitter or your art Instagram. I feel like people want to know you as an artist just as much as they want to know your art. As a person who's not super social media, I go on there and I look at what people are doing and then forget to post myself. And I have to push myself. <laughs> Even if I'm drawing a little thumbnail or a little dinky sketch, it's worth just popping on Instagram and seeing what people are thinking. I look at social media as a thing that like I'm not chasing likes or follows and stuff. It just kind of to share my work and I don't judge my personal self-esteem or value on my social media. To me, it's more like when I complete a project. That's the success of myself, even if no one would particularly want it. Social media, it's about being social. It's about connecting, not always about promoting. Of course, I promote things on social media. I reach a lot of people that way. But key thing to do is to interact, ask people questions, chat with them, share some personal things. I mean, you got to be careful what you share, but still show them that you're a human being. I won't give out my social security number, but I'm more than happy to tell someone that I love Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, it's like one of those <laughs> things where it's like, even if I post a picture of one of the dogs, someone else is telling me about their dog. It's like, you know, we might not necessarily like the same art, but clearly we all like dogs. You mentioned how you measure success is after the project's done, not how you appear on social media, not your presence on social media. Let me just mention some of your projects. Now, Claire, you've worked with Erica Schultz, a guest on the show on Spaceman. I just read that the other day. I love that little strip. Cheese Love Story, I have that. The unauthorized biography of Winston Churchill. You worked on the Kickstarter too at This Nightmare Kills Fastest. And you have a Kickstarter coming up. Is this right in 2019, Eve, The Immortal Lobster? Yes, that's with me and Erica, of course. I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Erica and me, she's always like, oh, I have a strange idea. <laughs> Let me send Claire an email. So we're working on a science fiction book that is about lobsters in outer space it's gonna be very strange trekky bring in a few little bit of anime influences another strange story along the lines of winston churchill an authorized biography and uh she's a love story because two crazy kids together <laughs> 
I'm fully taking credit. Paige actually suggested we work together. I thought that would be a good idea. Paige, you do graphite drawings and digital illustration. You've had your stuff posted in RPG magazines, and you published your sketchbooks, the first being Songs of Fablewood, and you're doing one, a sketchbook, annually. What else do you have that you're working on? Well, I'm definitely working on the next Fablewood project, which I haven't thought of the theme. Every year I try to do... A Fablewood sketchbook, unfortunately, I didn't get one done last year, so I'm making a mega extra big one this year. And then I have a couple RPG pieces that I'm doing I can't really talk about, unfortunately, because I don't know if the person has announced their project. But most of the time, it's just working on my personal Fablewood projects. I'm also working on a project called the AD&D project, where I'm illustrating every single monster in the classic advanced dungeon. Dragon's Monster Manual. As my personal homage to my love of D&D, old, weird RPG drawings that were super crude and weird looking that we kind of miss in the modern fantasy art section where now it's really about hyper-realism and digital painting, kind of like magic ring style stuff. So I'm trying to bring back the weird art of RPGs. Is there something that each of you want to write and or draw? in the future some projects are really itching to get to claire how about you the other night i was like sitting up in bed and i was like i kind of want to do a russian 50s sci-fi comic but set in like a sword and sorcery conan the barbarian kind of john cutter of mars story i was just thinking Mm -hmm. to myself i was like what's better than my two favorite things because i love science fiction and i love swords to make a just weird epic maybe potentially based on maybe some like greek mythology as far as maybe like the setup like setting it kind of like a theodicy or something of that nature but just like really go balls to the walls and make something very 70s inspired old heavy metal magazine style as well as my own comics magazines like anthology but that's probably not gonna be for like five or six more years but i do want to edit an anthology and make it like a quarterly magazine, screen printed covers and things of that nature, make it really handmade, high quality. So that's like on my Barbie dream list. Paige, what's on your dream list? Well, on my Barbie dream list, I definitely want to work on a Jim Henson project. <laughs> I love the Jim Henson company and like would love to work on that IP, do concept art for like an animation or for a video game, flesh the world for a tabletop RPG, because that is my second love in this world. It's tabletop role-playing games. Trying different stuff and experimenting and working. I like working on collaborative projects. I think because I work by myself since leaving college, I want to work on a large-scale collaborative project with more than one person. What is the best experience that you've had so far this year? Either with your work or something else outside of your work? The best thing that's happened to you in 2018 so far? I would say quitting my old job and getting a new one. That's really boring. (laughs) I would say for me, every year me and Claire go to Comic-Con in New York. And it's the one time of year we get to see a lot of people in person. And I was really fortunate a couple years ago to get study under Corey Godby, who um, is really well known. He's a comic artist. He's done stuff for Mouse Guard and Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. And I always love getting to see him in person because he always really encourages me and pushes me. And he was like, oh, you should definitely table at New York Comic Con next year. And it's always one of those things where I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. That's too scary. And he's like, you have no excuse. 
he convinced me within like 15 minutes that I'm going to try and get a table at Comic-Con next year. So that was kind of the most exciting thing for me because it really helped me motivate and recharge my batteries. I'm sketching like a fiend on our train ride at home. So that was kind of, I guess, exciting. I felt like fire under my ass type excitement to make art. Um, I guess for myself, just personally, it would be just really making art a priority in my daily life practicing every day and making sure that when I start something, I'm actually finishing it. I know it's, it's so easy to get distracted, um, especially once you have work and so many other priorities to forget to draw every day. So I've really just focusing and trying a more disciplined art practice. I've been okay with producing things other than comics. So I've been exploring into creating toys and doing other projects and just being okay with whatever. It's better to be drawing something than nothing, so just be okay with whatever I'm drawing at, at that moment. You mentioned reading comics growing up. What are you reading now that people don't know about? Something you think they should be reading? Mm. I Elf Quest. I never read it. I was listening to NPR, <laughs> and they were talking about how Elf Quest was ending after 40 years. So I was like, hmm, Elf Quest, that sounds something like I would like. It has the word elf in it. And I was like, eh, I don't know. And then when I was at the comic book shop, Sarah was like, oh my God, buy Elf Quest. Just buy it. She ripped it off the shelf and she's like, you're leaving with this. And I was like, okay. And I've been, I started to read it and I really like it. So I think people should read Elf Quest. I heard that same story on NPR. I talked to Richard down at Baltimore and they were so thrilled to have that story done about the final comic. So that is definitely on my list to read. That's something that I have to get to. Don't they have it in a big book now? Yeah, they have like large printed where it's like a bajillion issues in one. I have the first one. I think there's four volumes. Probably going to be more. I have the first one. It's pretty thick. It's like a dictionary. Oh boy. It's 40 years worth of content. And I started reading it. I was like, this is not something I can just casually carry around. It weighs too much. That's like when I started reading Cerberus. I got like one of the giant volumes and I was like, oh my God. First of all, there's so much content. And I was like, I can't just carry this around with me because it's like, a, like you said, a dictionary. Those are both two really good ones. Is there anything else that you recommend? One of my favorite books personally is one of Jeff Lemire's earlier books, Essex County, published by Top Shelf. But I especially feel like now... His newer works are so well known that a lot of people don't um, read a lot of his older work, which really isn't even that old. It's only like seven years old at most. It's one of my personal favorite books. It really allowed me as a comic artist to realize that you don't have to draw in a house style like Marvel or DC. You can kind of just do what you want and use comics as a medium, not a genre. And that really kind of slapped it across the face of me as far as it being a medium and not necessarily doesn't have to be a genre driven publishing format. Like you can experiment and do different stuff. It's time for the fun questions I ask all my guests. And some of the ones we already talked about were just kind of fun, but these are the ones I ask everyone. And I have an idea what some of your answers are going to be based on what we've already discussed. So starting with Claire. Claire, what do you do for rest and relaxation? I fight grizzly bear. <laughs> yeah, I fight I bear box grizzly bears. <laughs> um, actually, this probably sounds of my age. It's I play video games. <laughs> um, I grew up with the Super Nintendo, the N64, and the age of the console wars. I find video games to be relaxing and as well as helps drive me artistically. So it's awesome because I can just sit there and play and relax but also there's such beautiful art directions and stories now it's just like a marriage between relaxing and feeding like my art tank to produce more work and Paige what about you you play Dungeons and Dragons 
<laughs> yeah, I guess to relax, I play Dungeons and Dragons, but it's not really relaxing because I have to DM two games and it's a lot of work. I'd say for relaxing, yeah, playing D&D, but when I get to be a player. So I get to go along for the ride instead of having to orchestrate it. So anytime I get to play, it's such a treat because I just have to show up with my character get into my one character instead of trying to make sure the world doesn't burn. Paint miniatures. Oh yeah, we paint miniatures. We're getting a 40k. Yeah, we paint miniatures. I will admit, I like spending a Saturday night at home painting miniatures with my dog. There's something more relaxing than listening to podcasts and painting miniatures with your dog. The dog's really good at painting. Yeah, the dog's really good at painting miniatures and also eating them and destroying them. She tore this poor space marine apart. We found his head. That was all that was left. Now think back, each of you, to a favorite birthday. Why was it your favorite birthday? Or what was so special or memorable about that birthday? Claire. Oh, my God. I feel like we're going to have the same answer. Oh, yeah? I can't. All right. Um, I think maybe I was, like, in first or second grade. And I went home. And there were streamers and decorations everywhere. And my grandparents were there, which I wasn't expecting. And I just remember being at just, like, how you think a kid's birthday party is. We sit down, we have cake. Our birthday's in the spring, so it's always really warm. So, like, we went outside in the backyard and ran around. There's nothing specifically special about it, but I just have really fond memories of, like, a very stereotypical child's birthday. Okay, that wasn't what I was thinking. Oh, okay. I think when I say mine, you're like, oh, yeah, oh. So we were third, I think we were third or fourth grade, and mom got us these, there were these large... Essentially, a giant clipboard that you could open up, and my mom filled it with like markers and colored pencils and erasers. And she bought us like our own ream to like demolish all this paper and your way through it. And I was just so excited because she let me bring it to school. So instead of running around, I sat in a corner and I drew for all recess. And whenever I think about a good grade, yeah, pretty sure it was third grade. And I had a blue one, and Claire had a green one. And I remember thinking that was the coolest thing ever. Even as an adult, if I got that as a birthday party. Yeah, no, I'm super <laughs> stoked if someone gave me that as an adult now. If you had to put nice art supplies, you could put Crayola in that and I'd be excited. No batteries needed. It's just plain, simple, and fun because you can just create and go crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no limitations. If you can think it, you can draw it. I don't know. Sometimes I try to draw in perspective and it doesn't work out. I have to try to draw horses and it doesn't work out. But I still think about trying to draw a horse. That's true. Still thinking back, think back to about middle school age. What posters or pictures did you have on the bedroom wall? Probably like a lot of Harry Potter. Yeah, we were dorks. Yeah, like we were always big nerds. So it was probably. Oh, we definitely had, I remember a giant Marvel poster. We yeah. Wall with all the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely a lot of generic comic book posters, Harry Potter. Well, of course, we shared a we room. We shared a room. So we had the same stuff. And then a lot of our own drawings oh yeah we hung up a lot of our own drawings we had like cork boards all over that we just pin all of our drawings to i remember having the lego harry potter castle so that was a big thing in the room in our room yeah that wasn't on our wall i'm just saying i put that thing together (laughs) i need to (laughs) make sure i need to make sure the internet knows about it i put together the internet the original harry potter lego set all by myself as like an 11 year old and did not lose a single piece i think you should put on your resume i am Here's a hypothetical for each of you. You are stuck on a deserted island. You're allowed to have one book for pleasure, something you can enjoy reading while you're there, because it's the only book you're going to have. So what would that one book be? Lord of the Rings. It's three books in one. Well, that's okay. <laughs> and one of the best works of fantasy ever written, even though it can be really dry and really boring at times. It has a lot going for it. Claire doesn't read books. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I don't really read that many books with words and just pure words. Oh, my Lord of the Rings would definitely be an illustrated edition. But I think probably just To Kill a Mockingbird. I remember reading it in high school. It's one of the only books I've ever been forced to read that I actually enjoyed. Other than I do enjoy reading plays. But a play literally takes me 20 minutes to read. Like, I'm not going to blame The Glass Menagerie because I'm going to finish it in 10 minutes. But I think To Kill a Mockingbird. I'm really fond of the characters and the writing. And I always have the cover just burned in my mind's eye. So I'd probably go with To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, one more hypothetical. If a company were to make an action figure of you, what would be your accessory? Claire. My accessory would probably be the beanie I always wear. I'd say dirty paintbrush. Oh, and apparently a dirty paintbrush. <laughs> I don't really clean my art supplies very well. I always have just the most mangled brushes ever. So I would like to say my beanie, but my sister says a dirty paintbrush. Well, I'll say my item and you can designate me one. Okay, well, cool. If that's, that's fine. I would say mine would probably be like a monster manual or some other D&D book. But, like, wouldn't know it was a D&D book in my action figure, so you wouldn't get, like, copyright infringement. I was going to say your dog. I didn't know my dog could be an accessory. <laughs> an accessory is an animal. It can I be. Yeah, you can have pets. Accessories, Jonesy's the cat. Yeah, I guess to come back to kill a mockingbird. <laughs> yeah, I'll take Scout as my accessory. That's fair. For each of you, what is your beverage of choice? Claire. Mine is seltzer. I drink so much seltzer, it's embarrassing. You ever try it with lime or anything? I do. It's good. Yeah. Oh my god. I personally love carbonated beverages, but I was trying to not drink the ones with all the sugar. So I started drinking flavored seltzers, and I just find them so refreshing. I'm usually never without one, which is probably like close to being like a drug addiction, but it's fine. I'm fine. Everybody's fine. Are you? I'm so fine. I've never been so fine in my life. You're right. There is one right there. She's not lying, internet. There's a seltzer bottle in her hand right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say coffee, as lame as that sounds. I just can't make it through life without it. It makes me a happier person. I'll drink really bad coffee, but I also drink really good coffee. So I feel like I have a good coffee balance. And I like to drink it black. Well, mostly black with a little bit of milk in it. Just so I don't have to go to the bathroom a million times a day. I have some new questions. We'll see how these go. I'll just pick a few of them here. If you could travel back through time to a certain period of time, not to a specific event, but to a certain period in history, what century or time period would you visit and why? Claire. I think, honestly, I would go back to either the Stone Age or the Bronze Age, something really early, just to see how everything came about. Honestly, I'm just curious to see, like, who was the first person to make fire? Who was the first one? I guess it stems from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Like, ah. who took the first rock on someone's skull? So I'd be really curious to go to, like, prehistory. See the first murderer. Yeah, like, see the first murderer. Um, and really see how humanity developed. I think that'd be super interesting, because I'm super into primatology, so I think that also stems from that. Just really figuring out how modern humans came to be and how a societal structure eventually inevitably came together as well as tools and things of that nature. I was just like, holy shit, that was a lot. That was a really sophisticated thing that came out of you I wasn't prepared for. <laughs> what do you think I was going to say? I don't like, know. The 80s, because I love, like, like, totally tubular. So I just want to fit in. Like, oh, we figured the Stone Age, but when you went into the last part, I was like, what are we in, like, a college lecture? No. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't prepared for it. Okay, that's all I was saying. Say your question, and now I'll judge it. Okay, that's fair. You can judge it, <laughs> which is hard because I'm not really sure what time period I'd like to go back to. 
I guess I would like go back in time and just talk to Mary Shelley because I really like the book Frankenstein's Monster, the modern Prometheus. I think it's a really great book. That's considered one of the first science fiction books. I know. So I'd like to go back and talk to her. Just pick her brain and see what's going on inside. <laughs> probably dying of like, tuberculosis. Yeah, she's probably, dying, she's probably dying of tuberculosis while asking her questions. I don't know. I just think it'd be interesting to go back and just interview those lesser known authors that obviously didn't get representation because they were women. I liked that question. Yeah, it really made me think because I wasn't prepared for it. <laughs> <laughs> now, if money were no object, where would you travel, either within the U.S. or abroad? Where do you really want to go visit at some point? Space. <laughs> <laughs> I well, mean, I, that's okay. You can say space. It'd be Mars. I was going to say, I totally want to go to Mars, but the actual logistical, scientific... Hypothetically, I'd like to go. Hypothetically, I'd love to go to Mars. Realistically, it would terrify me if I had to put on a spacesuit, go to a space shuttle, shoot to another planet, and not then die of radiation. Yeah, and not die of radiation with my eyes being burned out by the sun. So I would like to see Mars, but maybe I'd like to send a robot there so I could just see Mars. Send a drone to Mars. Yeah, because I name it Claire. I love space travel, but I'm inherently terrified of actually having to travel to space. Plus, you know, if you go, you'd have to have your mail held and everything. It's a real pain in the neck. Yeah, I was reading. Plus, you don't get to come back. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the people they're shooting off are coming back. It's a one-way trip. (laughs) That's not really reassuring for all this art I've been doing. (laughs) There's your art career left behind on Earth. What do you think, Paige? Where would I want to go? I also want to go to Germany one day. Yeah, I'd like to go to Germany. I'd just like to go to a bunch. If I had unlimited resources, I'd just go to a bunch of different places and draw. I'd go to Japan, I'd go to Germany, I'd go to New Zealand. I would just kind of stop everywhere. I just want to see what's up. I'd go to places where I wouldn't even, I don't know, I talked to someone from Guardia the other day at work, and I was like, huh, maybe that'd be a cool place. Now, this is back to you and what really happened. You're both working, making a living while you're being artists. What is the oddest job that you ever had? Oh, my God. Almost never had a normal job. I've always had weird jobs. I worked at a swan boat company where we put you on the swan boat and you pedal around a lake. I've worked at a bicycle rental store. Um, two. Two bicycle stores. <laughs> I've worked at a bicycle video store. I've worked in amusements, like getting people on and off ride, technically. I've worked at a desk at like a university computer center. I currently work in food, and I used to work in food management. So I've always just had very strange jobs. Like, I've never had anything where I sat at a desk before. Did you say a bicycle video store? Yeah, and this was like, I'm only 27, so this wasn't 30 years ago. This was like five or six years ago. There was still a functioning video store that I managed to work at. But where's the bicycle part come in? It was in a beach town. There's a lot of people coming from out of state, so we'd rent them bicycles and dvds um and dvds most places didn't have wi-fi yet so you still actually needed to use dvd players and back even before i started working a lot of houses didn't even have televisions in them so you used to have to rent the televisions through us so they had a pretty sick monopoly on like having people rent out television sets vcrs game systems so i was literally working there one of the last few years they were still up in business and then after hurricane sandy they decided to close down even now a lot of beach houses don't come with wi-fi so video rental still kind of prevalent along the shore a little bit what's your wish um well i definitely worked in amusements 
because I hired you for that job. And I worked at a swan boat company. I guess my weirdest job is just now. I work at a yearbook company. I don't know. I just think it's weird. I don't know. It's publishing. A part of not a lot of people think about it, Yeah, honestly. no, like a lot of people think about it. And our family has a long history of being teachers. I'm like, oh, well, I'm doing art stuff for yearbooks. And it's my first desk job. So I think it's my weirdest one. I did all the retail jobs that never lasted long because I hated them. Oh, I also worked at a dog kennel, too. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't like that. No. Oh, you know, I did the whole, like, overnights at a retail location. But yeah, I would say my job I have now is my weirdest. Just because I do just so many weird stuff. I do everything from, like, helping customers directly to, like, designing yearbook covers. Now, what didn't you like about the kennel job? It made me sad seeing all the dogs. The other, I worked with mostly women, and I just couldn't handle them because they're very catty and gossipy. Catty in a dog kennel? <laughs> yeah, and we also kenneled cats, too. So I was in charge of the cats because everyone else had either medical issues or couldn't handle them. So I mainly hung out with the cats, which was fine because no one else is up there. Because I'm an introvert and all these girls are extroverts and I could not handle it. And um, you realize, uh, especially in a lot of kennels, your dog's usually locked up most of the day and they don't really advertise that. So I feel like there's like a false sense of like how your animal's being taken care of, which I'm not a huge fan of. I think there should be more transparency. And if your dog's in its kennel, like 12 plus hours a day, you should really be allowing the clients to know that's where their dog's going to be. Yeah, like I'd be upset if I found out my dog was in the kennel 18 hours a day. We used to take our dog to a kennel when we went on a trip. Unfortunately, they closed. My wife's still upset about it. She said, every time we drive past, she's like, I can't believe that place closed. I'm like, it's over. It's over. But what happened was the dogs would be inside <laughs> and they had the dogs together that were the same size. And we could watch on Facebook video of the dogs. They would post it every day. And they're having a blast. And our dog would always sleep mm-hmm. in the car, like just exhausted. But she was so excited to go there. And now that's gone. Like, what do we do? We'll have a neighbor come over or something. You just don't want to do it, you know? Yeah, it's a lot of work and coordination that goes into running a kennel. So I can see why. And there's a lot of liability too. Like I've almost gotten my face off a few times. So then you leave and you're like, oh my God, no one had any emergency phone numbers. What happened if I actually got mauled? You know, at a certain point you're like, I don't want my arm to get ripped off. Cause we took a lot of very severe dogs that couldn't be handled by most people. Yeah. I love animals, uh, but unfortunately the pay is generally not very good. Well, my last question for each of you, what is the one question that someone has not asked you in an interview, something that you want people to know about you? And we'll start with you, Claire. Generally, no one ever asked me ever about being a twin, honestly. No one ever (laughs) asked me any questions about my sister. Like, everyone, like, I'll be like, oh, yeah, my sister does art, too. And every people just go, oh, okay. Like, no one's ever like, oh, that's interesting. I can't believe that you, she can draw, too. Even at work, too, I'll be like, oh, I'm an artist, and so is my sister. And, like, they act surprised and has nothing to do with art at all. I work in the food industry, so people there find it interesting. But then people who are, like, interested in this stuff never like, they're like, oh, how but, the, Like, you think other artists would be interested about it, and then I just, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, oh, you don't think it's cool? I was like, you don't find that interesting that everyone in my family can draw? Okay, whatever. Because my, my older siblings can draw, too. They just don't do it professionally or very often. But they're creative. Yeah, like my siblings are creative. Like my brother makes furniture and my sister, my older sister does culinary. So all of us are good at drawing, but like apparently just no one finds that that interesting. Like I do. Like they don't find like, oh, we grew up and we had all these similar experiences, but our art looks really different. Yeah, yeah, that's too. Like they don't think like the psychology behind it interesting. Yeah, like no one ever holds up both our art next to each other and goes, look how different but the same these things are. Like no one wants to make a Venn diagram about it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think it's interesting because how close could you ever have two people who are actually the same age living in it's as close as you're going to get to replicating another human, but to see that there's two totally different outcomes, I find really interesting. We're not identical twins, we're paternal twins, but realistically, most twins generally won't both be very like into arts. So for us both to be naturally, like twins will start to like try to define themselves in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, like won't follow the same track of like being artists, the art one, the sport one, or the art one, the smart one. Yeah. So like it's just interesting that we both took down a same road and we had like a lot of the same teachers, obviously in elementary, middle and high school, and then we got to college and same professors. <laughs> Having similar influences but digesting them in different ways. I think is really interesting. No one ever asked me about that. I think sometimes online, though, it's hard because I don't write in any of my things. Like, also the sister of hashtag Paige Connolly or whatever. Yeah, like, I, I Paige Connolly. Yeah, we don't really, we don't tweet each other or share like stuff on the internet all the time because we live with each other. So I just go, Claire, look at this thing. Yeah, and when I started doing Kickstarters, <laughs> most people didn't know I was a girl. I got mistaken for a man a lot of times. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm a woman. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for saying you like this stuff. Yeah, so until I did a Kickstarter, oh my god, you are a girl. And I was like, I know, I am. So that was kind of interesting. I guess no one ever asked me why I like to draw in pencil. Because essentially, Corey told me, don't draw in ink anymore. You're ruining your drawings. Use a pencil. Well, he didn't say, I really think you should try graphite. And I was like, oh no, that's really scary. Because you have to be really good at drawing. And I always was like, I'm an inker. I'm an artist. So I need a heavy black ink line on my page. Or else I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'll get lost. Just draw with graphite. You're really good with pencil. And then you put ink on top and you lose some of the life. So I was like, okay. And I was really, like, nervous and anxious about it. Because I never did, like, large-scale graphite drawings. That was only a few years ago. And then all of a sudden, all I do is I love pencils. Though I still sketch in ballpoint pen, which is weird. I sketch in ballpoint pen and I make my drawing and drawing graphite. Well, it's been great to learn more about you both and the work that you do and more about each of you. And thank you both for being on Creator Talks tonight. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Coming up next week, I have two veteran comic book creators, Ron Mars and Daryl Banks. They were the creative team back in the 90s that brought us the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern. Well, now they are bringing us a World War II story called Harkin's Raiders. What's it about? Captain Harkin leads a crack special operations executive team of American commandos behind enemy lines during World War II. Their mission is to retrieve a German scientist who holds the key to stopping the Nazi war machine and safely escort him to England. The problem? Everything goes wrong and Harkin's men find themselves in the fight of their lives. The book is being published through Ominous Press and is a Kickstarter with a deadline of 1221. Please join me for that next Thursday. Until that time, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. And on Instagram, where I post my Saturday Silver Age and Bronze Age comics from my collection. Also at Creator Talks Pod on Instagram. If you'd like to send me an email, send it to contact at creatortalks.com. That's contact at creatortalks.com. That is the best way to reach me rather than posting something through Facebook Messenger or a direct message through Twitter. You can, but I prefer emails. They're much easier to work with and keep track of. This podcast is free and is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and on Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play podcast, Creator Talks. If you are enjoying the show, I'd really love to hear from you through a review or even just a star rating on iTunes. If you have already, thank you so much. If you haven't, 
take a few moments to do that. I'd really appreciate it a lot. And also, if you like the show, tell a friend, someone else that likes comics and wants to know more about comic book creators, writers, artists, publishers. There's a lot more to come for the rest of 2018 and more in 2019. Thank you for joining me this episode. For Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time.